Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And when he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Guys, I want to start with a question, and I want you to, it's a rhetorical question, so don't, don't answer it out loud, but I want you to think of something this morning, right now, think of something that you want, but don't have. Just, just get, get something in your mind, something that you want, but don't have. For you right now, it might be a good cup of coffee, right? It could be as simple as that. It could be something deeper, like a certain person you want to be friends with or just any person to be friends with. Maybe you just feel lonely and you wish you had like a, a best friend right now. Maybe it's a, something smaller like a new pair of shoes. Maybe for some of the moms out there specifically, it's a whole day to yourself. Wow. <laughs> All right. Good to know. All right. Maybe it's a, guys, maybe it's a boat. No one's going to no get excited about that. A car. Maybe it's well-behaved kids. Maybe it's a vacation. Um, kids, are you guys listening? Maybe it's a toy, certain toy maybe you wish you had that you don't. Or maybe it's a skill. Maybe you wish you were better at something like a sport. Maybe it's something deeper like health or healing of a loved one. So think about that thing for a second, and then I'm going to ask you another question. When you think about that thing that you, you want but don't have, um, I want to ask you, is it something that's within reach, or is it something that's just like a pipe dream that you'll never have, right? right? Maybe that boat is something that, yeah, that would be awesome, but in all likelihood, that's not going to happen, right? Is it that? Is it something that's within your reach? Is it something that you may actually have that thing by the end of 2020, or is it something that's just, that's just a dream that's just way out of reach? As you think about that, I want you to consider this, that one... One of the most beautiful things about the Beatitudes, about this sermon that Jesus gives, is, is he takes these, these things that seem like a pipe dream, right? And, and he makes them within reach. We could say that he takes something that seems remote and makes it a reality. He takes what seems afar and makes it available. He takes something that, that seems distant and makes it definite. He takes redundant alliteration and makes it stop. I thought it was funny. You guys do it, and that's okay. All right. So those of you who crave righteousness, those who crave righteousness, those who long for, for righteousness, that that desire may seem far off. That may seem unattainable. It may seem unachievable. But he just says those who desire righteousness, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, will be satisfied. And in this sermon, Jesus is laying out what life is now like in the new kingdom. Now, we talked about this in Matthew, that the theme of the book of Matthew is that 
Almost like the kingdom of heaven in Jesus has come to earth, that one kingdom has, the kingdom of light has invaded the kingdom of darkness, this world where we live, and things are changing. And he's telling them, this is what life is like in the new kingdom. These are the ones who do well under this reign and rule of Christ on earth. So before we get deep into the weeds of that, I want to define some of the terms because there's some, there's some churchy words in these verses, and it's going to be helpful if we take a little bit of time and pick those words apart and then zoom back out and look at what Jesus is really saying. So the first word I want to look at is righteous. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness. And righteousness is a broad word, and it, it can mean a whole lot of different things in the scriptures. And there's really three things um, that it could mean in this verse. And people are kind of split on which of these uses of the word righteousness is meant here. But the first one is justification. When we talk about righteousness in terms of justification, simply it's, it's what most of us think of when we think of um, being in right standing with God. So you think of the word righteousness, this would be being in right standing with God, being on good terms with God. And if you've grown up in the church, you already know this, but what the scripture teaches is that none of us left to ourselves are in right standing with God. That all of us have sinned, we've rebelled against God and his authority, and God's response to that is wrath because God is holy. He does not tolerate sin and rebellion against his authority. Um, he does not tolerate sin and rebellion against other um, children of his whom he created. That God does not stand in the presence of sin, or we could say sin cannot stand in the presence of God. And that to be righteous is to be given through what Jesus has done on the cross, to be gifted a right standing with God, not because of what we have done, but because Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins so that if we would believe in him, we might be justified. Even though we have sinned, we could stand in God's holy courtroom, fully justified, fully righteous and right standing with him in his sight through belief in Jesus. So that's one way the Bible uses the word righteousness to mean justification, our standing before God. Another, another way that the, that the Bible uses the word righteousness is to talk about godliness. If that one was, we're talking about justification before, there's also the idea of, of sanctification, that sometimes righteousness is less about our, our legal standing before God, whether or not we're in a right, good relationship with him. Sometimes the Bible uses righteousness more about practically how we live. Are the decisions we're making on a day-to-day -day basis in line with, are they right with what God has said, are we living in a way that honors and glorifies the God with whom we are in right standing through Jesus? And there's a third way the scriptures use the word righteousness um, in the sense of just global justice, right? That, that when you look at the world, this kingdom of darkness we live in, you can look out and see things that aren't right, that they're not righteous, that God's will is not fully operable on earth as it is in heaven where everything happens according to what he desires. That on earth, there are things that happen every day that we look around and we see that do not please God. And so when Jesus talks about this longing for righteousness, what most scholars think is that, is that he means some combination of the last two, right? That even though it's true that those who yearn and long and hunger and thirst for righteousness, even though they will have that met in the person of Jesus through his death on the cross, they will be justified that in the context of this sermon, what Jesus is talking about is 
those of you who are out there, imagine him preaching to this crowd and saying, those of you sitting out there, who you, you hunger and thirst to live in such a way that honors and pleases God. And you, you look at the injustice in the world, and you hunger and thirst, you desire and long for that to stop, right? For, for children to not be abused, um, for racism to not exist. Like you see these evils, these injustices, and you crave the day that those things are no more. One of the commentators uh, I read, D.A. Carson, he said it like this, talking about, here, who usually Jesus is talking to, people that this is true of them, that all unrighteousness grieves them and makes them homesick for the new heaven and earth, the home of righteousness. Satisfied with neither personal righteousness alone nor social justice alone, they cry for both, and they will be satisfied without qualification only when the kingdom is consummated. And we'll talk about the already not yet of that more later on in the sermon. But that's essentially what Jesus is saying is that those of you who long for that, who long for your life to, to not be burdened by sin and the destruction it wreaks on those around you and on yourself, those of you who see injustice in the world and it hurts you, you care, you long for it to cease, you will be satisfied. Under this new kingdom, those cravings, those desires will not go unmet. Now let's look at what the word blessed means. Ryan talked us a little, little bit about this a few weeks ago, but I want to revisit it just for a second. Um, the word blessed, and, and if you read um, commentators about that word, basically the one thing all of them say is there's not really a good English equivalent for what that word was. Um, the original word when Jesus said, blessed are those who fill in the blank, is, is, has kind of a, a congratulatory tone in it. Like, congratulations for those who are these things. Um, it means they are, yes, that they are happy, that they are, that God smiles upon them, but it also means that they're in a good spot. And one commentator I read said the, the best English one, which is an Australian phrase, would be, good on you, mate. So that, that was my best Australian accent, so I'm gonna get any better than that. But, but the, it's, like, it's like Jesus is saying, good on you, or, or maybe in a more American context, good for you, right? That Jesus is saying, those of you that are, Find yourselves in a spot where you're poor in spirit, good for you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you find yourself in a place where you're mourning, good for you, for you will be comforted. If you find yourself in a position where you feel like you're meek, and because of that, maybe in this world's eyes that doesn't look like you're blessed, because maybe you run the risk of being taken advantage of, or because you're meek, maybe you feel like you can't get a leg up in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Good for you. Good for you. For you will inherit the earth. He takes the seemingly disadvantaged in society, those who seemingly are disadvantaged and wanting, and says, you know what? You're actually in a good place in the kingdom of heaven. You're in a good spot. Good for you. And so that's what Jesus is saying is if, if that's you if, you, if you have this longing and this craving for righteous to be done in the earth as it is in heaven, if you see injustice in the world and it bothers you, if you see the sin that you have to battle with daily in your own life and that bothers you, good for you. You will be satisfied in that longing. So I want to look at three effects that hunger for righteousness has on us. Today in Rockwell in 2020, what does it look like for us to be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does that look like in our lives? 
And the first thing I want to point out is that hunger creates passion. We all know what it means to be passionate about food, don't we? Kids, are you guys still listening? Very good, thank you. I want you to raise your hand, kids, if you love it when your dad cooks versus your mom. Anyone love it when dad cooks? Yeah? Okay. Now put your hands down, if you, and, or, or, no, leave your hand up if you love it when your mom cooks. How many of you say, I like mom's cooking better? Yeah? About half and half, that's cool. Um, how many of you raise your hand for your dad, it's when he goes and gets donuts? Is that, is that what that was about? Yeah, okay, just making sure. That's kind of how it is in our house. I'll tell you, something hilarious happened this morning. I was actually, uh, I was up before Emily because one of my daughters was sick and up all night. Um, my other daughter came into the kitchen and I was like, well, Eden, do you want me to, do you want me to make you some breakfast? I could pour you some cereal or, or heat you up a waffle and a toaster. And she goes, I'll wait till mom gets up. <laughs> it's like, she couldn't even trust me to like run a toaster. <laughs> so my kids definitely uh, would fall on the second side of that. Um, but all of us know what it means to be passionate about food, right? I mean, if, 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 you, think, if you think you're one of those people that um, maybe you're married to someone who they're not real passionate about food, that you, go, you say, um, hey, where do you want to go eat today? And they say, I don't care. Just make a suggestion. You find out they actually are passionate. They actually do care because they're probably going to say no to the first thing you suggest, right? All of us know what it means to be passionate when we're hungry, right? When we're hungry for something, it creates a passion and a desire, that we act on. So let me just come back to our definition of righteousness in regards to global justice and ask you this. Are you troubled by evil that is in the world? I have this, um, I have this thing with my sister where for each other's birthdays, we've kind of figured out we didn't know what to get each other. So we just always get each other a book. And there's just kind of this unwritten rule that on your birthday, on her birthday, I'm going to send her a book on Kindle and she kind of has to read it, right? And the reciprocal is true, too, that that book is just kind of like a, hey, I think you could use this, right? Or whatever it is, it's like, I, I, this book meant a lot to me. I want you to read it. Um, and so uh, we, were, we, were, we were doing that this year, and um, she sent me this one called The Sun Does Not Shine. Anybody read this book, The Sun Does Not Shine? So it's a book about um, this guy named Anthony Ray Hinton, and I think they're actually making a movie about it as well. But it's a story about how he is this black man who was accused of murdering someone, falsely accused, um, did not get a just trial, and was put on death row. And he spent, I think it was like 30-something years awaiting his execution. And finally, this attorney who had a heart for stuff like that stepped in, got involved, and over like the course of four or five years, finally got the, the ruling overturned, and the guy released from prison. You, know, you hear stories like that. And you think, like, there's so much injustice in the world. And, and for most of us, that stirs up some sort of compassion, right? Or maybe, maybe it's not that for you. Maybe you look at, you look at children um, who are in really difficult, horrible situations because of poor decisions that their parents made. And you think, man, that's not right. right? That you, and you want something to be done about that. I think just about every human on the planet is in some ways stirred and moved by situations like that. But what it means to be hungry for righteousness is that we are stirred to the point of getting involved. Um, and there's lots of ways for us to do that here at Crosspoint. Here in a few weeks, we're taking our, um, our students to, to LaunchBox. It's an event we do in Fort Worth where we reach out and minister to kids that are in similar situations that because of, because of ISIS or some other oppressive 
unjust force in their home country. They were forced to flee, seek asylum in the U.S., and now they're having to start their lives over. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that, to move into that, to lean into that, and make a difference for them. Um, You have opportunities to volunteer all the different things our church does, Um, to volunteer in the schools through Danny Garcia and the things he's doing. Um, Clint Brunson was up here earlier. They've really championed the idea of adoption in our church and just made that very easy and available to get involved, made it made it clear steps for us to do that. Um, but in all these things, guys, God has called us to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness in such a way that we see this, these injustices in the world and we do something and we get involved. And here's where that's significant because some would say this, and you've probably said it in your own heart if you're honest with yourself. You look at the refugee crisis, you look at the number of orphans in our culture, you look at the number of kids in desperate situations, and it can be tempting to think, man, why even bother? Or you look at the sin in your own life, the sin that besets you and wants to overcome you and wants to, that part of you that's still in the flesh that wants to turn away from Jesus to satisfaction and other things and the idea of killing that sin and, and getting rid of it and of living righteously and, and walking the straight and narrow path seems unattainable to the point that it's like, man, why even bother? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be more blessed of a life to just say, I'm not gonna be able to put a dent in those things, so I'm just gonna eat, drink, and be merry and live for my own satisfaction in this broken world. Some would say that. Some would look at the church and say, you're wasting your time. There's always gonna be more refugees. There's always gonna be more orphans. You're never gonna be perfect. Why bother craving and longing for something that will not be satisfied? And I wanna give you an answer to that, which is twofold, and it goes back to the whole idea of the already not yet kingdom. And so already in in the sense of here and now, Ask anyone who's done those things and see if they regret it. Ask someone in this church who's adopted or taken on foster kids, hey, would you have been more blessed to just turn a blind eye out of that because there's always more kids that need to be adopted? You kidding me? You don't think that people doing those things making a difference in the world in the name of Jesus, pushing back the darkness, they are blessed and happier and in a better spot right now for giving themselves to those things. Just like Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's counterintuitive, right? Part of you thinks like, no, it would be better to look after yourself. But those who are doing that have a deep, lasting joy and happiness that those who aren't cannot understand when they've not given themselves to righteousness in that way. There's also the element of not yet that Jesus is saying in this new kingdom, which, which is here but hasn't fully come, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. So they'll be satisfied now in some sense, but not fully until Jesus comes back. But when Jesus comes back and wipes away every tear from every eye, and there's no more orphans, no more refugees, no more besetting sins. On that day, it is those who have hungered and thirst for that that will be satisfied. 
those who've longed for it, those who've waited for it, those who've yearned for it, those who've fought for it here now will be the ones who are satisfied when it happens on that day when it comes to fruition. We can say the opposite is true as well. I want you to look at this, 2 Timothy 4.8. It's going to be on the screen. Paul's at the end of his life. He's, 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 he's longed for God's righteousness here on earth, and he's about to enter into glory. He knows that he's, he's, he's on death row. He's about to die, and he says this, Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also, watch this, to all those who have loved his appearing. The reward to all those who have loved his appearing. We might flip it and say it this way, that if you're so satisfied with this world, as it is in the things that the world offers, if you are so deeply satisfied in that, that there is no longing for Christ's coming, then this may be as good as it gets for you. That may be as good as it gets right now. That if you don't have a craving and a longing for Jesus to come back, and you don't see that as like really, truly the blessed life you could have when Jesus comes back and all those things are removed, he may not be coming back for you. Paul says that Jesus is coming back to give reward not just to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. But guys, if you are longing for that, if you, if you look out into the world, you see this injustice and you see this sin waging war against your own heart and there's, there's at least part of you, maybe a small part, maybe a big part, but that just longs and waits and expects and yearns for the day that Jesus comes back. Listen, Jesus says, you will be satisfied. You will not be disappointed if you put your hope in that. If that's what you're craving, if that's what you hunger for, if that's what you thirst for, is God's righteousness on earth and in you, you will not be disappointed. You will be blessed for you will be satisfied. The second thing it creates is priorities. We all know that hungry, hunger creates priorities, right? Anyone in here get hangry? Anybody, anybody in here, parents get hangry? You have parents that get hangry, right? That like, when you get really, really, really hungry, Everything else on your to-do list just kind of takes a back seat, right? And it just becomes about how can I get some food. We were, uh, my wife and I were first married. Some neighbors of ours invited us over to lunch. We still joke about this because the whole thing was just hilarious. So we didn't know them. Um, they said, hey, you guys come over. We're going to grill some steaks. We're like, okay, cool. We're down. So we go over to their house. This is after worship service. And it's like 1230, you know, and they're all just kind of sitting around. And the guy that I'm talking to, by the way, if you've ever seen uh, King of the Hill, like Boomhauer, that guy, it's him. Not, not a guy like him, it's him. It's that guy. So he's just like, he's sitting around, he's like, well, y'all, uh, y'all reckon we gotta throw them steaks on? It's 12.30. And his mom, who owns the house, is like, oh, yeah, I reckon you go ahead and, you know, go ahead and put the grill on. Okay. Two o'clock rolls around. Well, y'all reckon we gotta throw them steaks on? <laughs> like, she said yes last time, bro. And so Emily has an appointment at four, um, and so she, at three o'clock, she just has to leave. And like, she is, she talks to, she tells the story to others because she is so hungry. Like the steaks are just sitting there, right? On, on a plate, just waiting to be grilled. And she never got to eat them. So on the way there, this is how hungry she was. She went to Taco Bell. Okay, so, and if you know what Taco Bell 
does to you while you're eating it and after you eat it, you know that like you have to be really desperate to go there, right? It's, it's like, it's just not a good thing. Um, but when you get hungry, everything else, like what might happen afterwards, it just completely takes a back seat. Now I want you to do this for me. I want you to think of the most godly person you know, and not, we're not having a competition here, okay? It's not like that. But just, just think for a second about someone you know who is just like exudes godliness, who just obviously loves and follow the Lord with all that they are. I was talking to Emily about this and what it means to, to be hungry for righteousness. And, and she said, she said, if I think about the most godly person I know, I think about how they, they just think and prioritize their lives completely differently than the way the world thinks, right? That what they long for matters to them like, what, what, what matters to them, what they long for, is very different than what the world values and what the world longs for. I thought about that, how craving righteousness means our lives are completely different, that what we value, what we long for in the church should look different than what it does in the world. And I, I couldn't help but think about how, I think for, for, for a lot of us, if we're not careful, we can slip into a version of Christianity that's just this, that we basically crave and hunger and thirst and chase all the same things the world does, but we're grateful to God along the way for giving us those things. But this is the theology of country music, right? You guys listen to country music on the radio. This is the, this is the theology they present. And I, I think about this... Uh, um, specific song by Tracy Bird. You guys remember Tracy Bird, the watermelon crawl, okay? He's got this song called I Tip My Hat. And I want, I want to read you the lyrics from this song and just, just listen for that thinking in this song. He says, I tip my hat to the keeper of the stars. That's God. He sure knew what he was doing when he joined these two hearts. Assuming he's talking about his wife there, right? I hold everything when I hold you in my arms. I've got all I'll ever need, thanks to the keeper of the stars. It's, it sounds, it's a cool, kind of catchy song, but if you look at it from a theological perspective, he's just basically saying, God, I'm so grateful for this idol that you gave me. God, I'm so grateful for this thing you gave me that is the supreme object of my desire, my affection, the thing that if I have this, I don't need anything else. God, thank you for giving me that thing in my wife. And all of us are in danger of that, guys, of living our lives, pursuing some idol that may not be sin, may not be a bad thing, but is the supreme object of our affection and our desires, live our lives chasing that thing with gratitude towards God along the way. That is not what God wants for us. That is not what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That too often we're pursuing and prioritizing all the same things that the world does, and the only difference is we're tipping our hat to our maker as we pursue those things. But what would your life look like if God was the top priority in everything you did? If your life was not a pursuit of those things, but a pursuit of knowing God and being used by him on this earth? 
I know it's, it's tricky, right? Because some of you hear that and you're thinking, well, well Kai, I, I need those things, right? Like, I need to be successful in my job. Like, I need material things to take care of my family. There's, I, I, I need to be affectionate towards my spouse, right? I need to value him or her. Yes, absolutely. But not supremely. I have a, a friend named Danny Manuel. He's gonna be our cook at Launchbox. Um, he was on American Ninja Warrior. Some of you guys, you ever have like your, your 30 seconds of fame on television? I have mine. If you look up American Ninja Warrior, some of you guys have seen it. There's this guy named Danny Manuel, this 40-year-old dude that did the American Ninja Warrior coast. And then it's like, it shows a picture of me for like three seconds. And it's like, Kai Martin, Danny's friend. Like that, 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 was, that was it. My claim to fame. I knew I was going to be on TV, so I wore my Igo shirt, you know. I was all excited about it. But uh, what's cool about Danny is that he, he worked his tail off to do this American Ninja Warrior thing. And um, I'm going to get into all the details of it and how he kind of got... They kind of treated him wrongly, and yeah, I made it really hard for him. But um, he he was uh, so excited about this; it was a big deal. He had trained; he'd worked really hard. And then um, in one of his interviews, and you can see it if you if you look at, look it up, um, he says, "You know, one of the things I wanted to teach my kids through this is that you can have a goal and not make an idol out of that goal." I want to do this, right? I'm going to make a lot of sacrifices. I'm going to set my mind on it. I'm going to set things aside to pursue this, but I'm not going to make an idol out of it. And it's cool because I saw, I saw a guy run before him who obviously had made an idol out of this. Um, and when he, when he fell, when he didn't make it, oh man, it was like everyone, he was just like walking around cussing, throwing stuff, breaking stuff. And like, it was like his world had just collapsed, right? Everything he'd hoped for, was gone. It was his idol. Then when Danny falls and doesn't make it, they're interviewing him. He says, man, I want to give glory to God. Thank you for the opportunity. He was championing adoption as part of it. They all kind of have some kind of cause they're representing. Hey, man, foster or adopt a child. Because it wasn't an idol. It was a goal. It was a big deal. But his joy and happiness didn't hinge upon whether or not he completed the American Ninja Warrior course. And that's how the things in our lives ought to be as Christians is that we can have goals, we can have wants, we can have things we want to achieve, things we want to have, things we want to do. But we don't ultimately depend on those for what's going to satisfy us. And the third thing that hunger creates is planning. Not you guys, but I, I like to cook actually. Not. Um, I think it's fun, I enjoy it, but man, I'm not a fan of like everything that happens before you cook, right? Like thinking about what you're gonna cook, <laughs> going to the store and buying those things, like making a list, right? All those things, like I wish I could just come into the kitchen and everything I needed was there and I could just get after it, right? But the reality is if you've ever tried to cook, you know that like half of the job is before the meal. It's preparing, it's shopping, it, it, it's planning. And the same can be said about about pursuing righteousness, guys. If you're, if you're thinking, I want to live that life, I want to live a life that's, that's pointed towards craving righteousness, craving the things of God and not the things of man, I would just say that having a plan for that is huge. It's maybe even over half the battle that if, if you're sitting there today and you're thinking like, man, I will, I, that sounds good. I would like for my life to be more about that, to be more aligned with God's plan, what he wants, and seeing righteousness on earth and in my own life. I want to pursue that. Oh, great. What's your plan? When are you going to, wake, to, to read your Bible? 
if you don't have that plan, it's not gonna just naturally happen. Just like you can't walk into the kitchen and expect all the ingredients to just naturally be there, you can't seek to pursue a life of righteousness without some sort of a plan on how to get there. And it doesn't have to be hard, guys. Like, so I just wanna encourage you, if, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not in the habit of having some sort of daily time of pursuing righteousness, pursuing the things of God, to make a plan for that. And it it's really isn't, isn't that difficult. It's, the thought of it can be overwhelming, kind of like cooking, but sit down and come up with a plan for where you're going to do that, what part of your house you're going to do it in, when, what, maybe you need to wake up earlier, maybe you need to stay up later, but set aside a time where you say from this time to this time, that's what I'm doing and I'm working it into my schedule. If you are new to that and that kind of scares you, just I would just say just having a plan is is is, is 90% of it. Um, just start in the book of Matthew. Read along with us in Matthew. Some of you may want to like deep dive into a book. They make one-year Bibles. You can start it um, at any point in the year and just it tells you exactly what to read so you can read through the whole Bible in a year. Um, guys, but what, whatever you do, have a plan for how you're going to pursue that righteousness. And so let me transition now and answer a question some of you, maybe most of you are thinking, what if I don't desire that, right? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What if in general in my life, or maybe just right now, I'm in a season where I don't hunger for that. Like I just, just being honest, I don't have that craving. Like I don't find myself waking up and longing for God's righteousness on the earth, in the earth, and in my own life. So I just wanna give you three real practical things for when you find yourself there. Whether that's you're there as a person in general that you don't know the Lord or whether you do know the Lord and that desire is just kind of faded. Just, just three practical, simple things you can do for that. One is just to ask for it, right? Scripture says we have not because we ask not that God is not, God is not, um, that's what I'm looking for here. God is not scared of you bringing that to him. If you, if you bring that to God and say, God, I do not long for righteousness the way I should, he's not, gonna, he's not gonna be shocked by that, okay? He's not gonna be put off by that. But it says if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. One of my favorite authors, um, John Piper, he's got these things called the, the IOUs of prayer. And we're just gonna blow through them real quick. I don't have much time left here, but... Um, he, he says there's, there's four verses, and they start with I-O-U-S, um, that he prays whenever he finds himself in a place where he's not craving and longing for righteousness the way he should. The first is Psalm 119.36, says, Incline my heart to you, O Lord, not to prideful gain or any false motive. Second one is Psalm 119.18, says, Oh, open my eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Third one is Psalm 86, 11, unite my heart to fear your name. And then the S is Psalm 90, 14, satisfy me with your steadfast love. So he says he just goes through this exercise of, of asking God to incline his heart, to open his eyes, to unite his heart, to satisfy him with the things of God, that God would reorient our hearts simply just by us asking him to do so. The second thing I would say is just set your mind on it. Colossians 3, 2 through 3 says this, set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, one, one final illustration for you, but I was a, I was a psychology major in, in, in college. Kids, are you guys still listening? Don't ever major in psychology. It is a worthless undergrad degree. It's like the biggest regret of my life. There's nothing you can do with that other than go to grad school, which I did not do. But so I have to justify it by bringing it up in sermons as much as I could. Sorry, but not sorry. Um, so one of the things we learned about was top-down processing versus bottom-up processing. So in, in top-down processing is this, what we normally think of as how our minds process feelings and emotions that like I feel a certain way maybe I feel sad and you're gonna see that because I might be kind of droopy or my face might be kind of long I might be frowning that like the what's going on in my mind affects what happens in my body and that's what we normally think of but there's also what's called bottom-up processing where what we do with our bodies can actually affect the way our minds feel and think and so for a couple examples of that if you're not feeling humble in your prayers drop down to your knees and you might start to feel pretty humble, right? What happens outwardly affects what happens mentally. Um, or if you're, this is a real simple thing, if you're just not having a good day, you're not very happy and you wanna be happy, start smiling, right? And you think that seems kind of forced and it seems kind of faked, but it's shown that if you just start smiling, you will start to feel happy. Like that's how our bodies work. And what I could say about righteousness is that eating creates hunger. Eating creates hunger. That if you don't crave and long for righteousness for the things of God, just start pursuing it anyway and watch how it'll give you an appetite for those things. Jeremiah 15, 16 says it this way. Your words were found and I ate them. And look at this. After he ate, your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. That that part of the antidote for when we're not hungry is to eat anyway, is <laughs> to pursue the Lord even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't really want to. And in that pursuit, God will develop the craving, the hunger, and the thirst for more of him. Guys, and the last thing I want to say is eat together. Um, if you don't desire righteousness, get around those who do. Something, something we don't talk about enough, I don't think, in our, in our church or make you aware enough of is if you're there, if you're here today and you think, man, I want to do that. I want to learn what it means to live a life that's righteous, that's practically pleasing in God's sight, but I just, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to do this devotional thing. I don't know what Bible to get. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Church, nothing would make our leadership team happier than you coming to us with that request. Like, if you were to come to us and say that, and we were able to, to, to pair you up with someone who's more mature in the faith and let you walk with that person, guys, that, that would mean more to us than any team you could serve on, like than any check you could write, right? Like, we want and long to be able to equip you for that. And so just, just know that if you just need some help with that, if you need some help with what it looks like to have a quiet time to live and pursue righteousness in your life, to learn how to follow Jesus, please come talk to us and let us pair you up with someone through our mentoring program that would help you as you try to move in that direction.
Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for those things for righteousness will be satisfied. And we know that that's ultimately true because of what he did, right? Because he made a way through the cross for us to be in a right standing with God. And we're going to take that and we're going to eat together here in a minute at the Lord's Supper. So let's pray and then we'll move into that time. God, thank you so much for this morning for just these beatitudes and how they've, they've meant so much more to me and been so much more helpful, honestly, than, than I really thought they would. Um, and God, I pray that we would be that, that we would just be a people who crave righteousness. And God, I ask that um, we would do that in a practical way, but God, I also ask that in our hearts, you would, you would give us that yearning, give us that craving, transform our hearts. God, our, our hearts want to, so prone to want to find satisfaction and seek satisfaction not in the things of you. And God, we know by experience that those things do not ultimately end well, that we are not blessed by pursuing those things. So transform our hearts to those that seek and pursue righteousness. I pray in Christ's name, amen.